Hey there, this is Emily Hoover, and we are so glad that you are listening to the Mission Point Community Church podcast. It's our prayer that this helps you grow in your relationship with Jesus and encourages you to show and share the love of Jesus everywhere you go. Thanks for tuning in. Now let's dive into the message. Happy New Year, right? We'd still say that. It's the seventh, but that's all good. This is the first Sunday of the new year that we are here. My name is Jeff. I am one of the pastors. I am so thrilled to be with you today and pray that you had a wonderful holiday season, maybe time with family, friends, hopefully time of maybe reflecting on a real reason for the season. And uh, what do you think about 2024? You pumped? You ready? You ready to go? One of the things that uh, is really common is people make New Year's resolutions. Some of you might be New Year's resolution people. I don't know. Maybe you're more New Year's revolution people. That would be cool. But anyway, you know, one of the things that I've heard over the years, I mean, this has probably been around for who knows how long, many, many, many decades, is it's kind of like the calendar year, the start of the year, to some people feels a bit like a clean slate. I don't know how clean that slate is. You kind of carry over last year and the other parts of your life, but it can be a time to say, I'm going to do some things differently. That's good. It can be a time of setting some really good goals. That's fine. So one of the things I wanted to do is begin by sharing with you some New Year's resolution survey data. But we're really not going to be talking about that today. We're going to be talking about what I'm calling New Year's realignment. I'll get to that in just a bit. So I went on the web, you know, you can find a lot on there as we all are aware, and I found a survey group called Statista. Oh, isn't that cool? Statista, you get it? You know, pretty cool. Consumer Insights, that's the name of the company. And so basically they did a survey of hundreds of people and they basically asked the question, um, what are your resolutions for 2024? So there are eight that are listed. I'm going to blow through these, and then I have some other ones I want to talk about. But here they are, okay? Number one, to save more money. Of all the respondents, 59% of the people, almost six out of 10, said this is my number one, to save more money. Number, these aren't going to be surprises to you, I guarantee you. Number two, to exercise more. There you go. of the people put that really high, if not number one. Number three, you're going to see a pattern here. To eat healthier, especially after the holiday season, right? I made the mistake and weighed myself a few days ago. I shouldn't have done that, you know? Wait like a month before you weigh yourself after the holidays. Maybe that'll be my New Year's resolution next year. I don't know. Number four, to spend more time with family and friends. That's a nice one. That's a good one. 40% people said that that was theirs. Number five, to lose weight. 35% had that as the highest or one of the highest. Number six, to reduce spending on living expenses. In other words, to have a budget and stick to it. That's not easy, but that's what um, 26% of the people put that as a really high one. Number seven, to spend less time on social media. Preach it. 19%. That's only like two out of 10. I think that should be pretty common for a lot of us. 
And then number eight, to reduce stress on the job. There you go. You might need to talk to your boss about that, though, right? Again, 19%, about two out of 10. So I kind of looked at other you know, data about uh, New Year's revolution. <laughs> I'm going to be saying that. New Year's resolutions. Here's some other common ones to get more sleep. That sounds nice. We got a lot of young moms and dads in this in our church family. There, that would probably be a big goal for 2024. Another one: travel more. That sounds good. Earn more money. Get organized. I've heard people say that. And then another one of the top ones is to learn a new skill. To learn a new skill. So here's my thing about New Year's resolutions. I think it is good and noble. By the way, all of these are good things. These are not bad things, right? All of these are fine. Here's the test of your New Year's resolutions. How's it going on February 1st? It really is. How's it going on February 1st? I am a member of the YMCA. I go pretty much every morning. It's pretty awesome how packed out the Y is in January. I mean, it's just so amazing. Not as much in February. Maybe the real test is, how's it going January 15th, even? Here's the, the problem, and again, maybe these work for, for a lot of people, I don't know. But the problem is, is it's kind of like we want to try to do something that's really hard that we haven't done, or maybe we did a long time in the past, and we just forget how hard it is, how challenging it is. Because I don't know that God has intended us just to, by our own discipline and willpower and determination and all those things, be transformed. In fact, the Word of God does not say that at all. Transformation doesn't come by behavioral modification. It comes by the power of the Holy Spirit in your life. Amen? That's how it happens, my friends. So, you know, if, if I say that about resolutions, I don't know that they work. Some Christians will be pretty upset with me and say, I pray every day. I pray God will get me out of bed. I pray that God will, you know, make me like working out or that God will give me discipline, you know, with, with what I eat and all these cravings I have. And I'm like, okay, okay. You know, I'm not wanting to debate this. But I want to suggest this morning, right from the Word of God, a really good alternative to New Year's resolutions. I've already mentioned it. It's what I like to call a New Year's realignment of my life. It's something that is very deeply rooted in the very, my very understanding is what is my purpose on this earth as a follower of Jesus Christ. There's so much about our lives, my friends, that we are just tossed back and forth. We are, as Paul wrote, conform to this world so easily, aren't we? And what we need to do, I think we need to do it not just annually, maybe we need to do it weekly, monthly, daily, who knows, is to just refocus what is our God-given purpose? What is our God-given stewardship of this life that he has given us and called us to? Okay, so there's a passage, a couple verses these verses have meant a lot to me over the years. I've thought a lot about them. 
that I want to share with you this morning. And by the way, this is not a new series. I'm, this is kind of, we call it a standalone message. We're going to start a new series next week called Reach One, and it's on sharing the love of Jesus with people who don't know him. But I have the opportunity today, I'm grateful to say, let's start the new year biblically, according to how I believe the scriptures teach we should view the new year. Okay, book of Jeremiah. That's where we're going. Jeremiah chapter 9. If you have your Bible, why don't you turn there with me, if you would. Jeremiah is a kind of a depressing book, to be honest with you. He's one of the major prophets. You know, Jeremiah was one of those prophets, many of them were this way, is they were just bearers of bad news. That was their role. Wouldn't that be a wonderful calling to have? Everywhere you go, you, you, you speak judgment, gloom, and doom on God's people. But that was his calling. Some of you know that Jeremiah was called the weeping prophet. Um, one commentator wrote, the weeping prophet to a wayward people. That's Jeremiah. That's his life. Now, we're going to be looking at chapter 9. The specific verses that we will be focusing on are just two verses, 23 and 24. But as is always the case, and what we always want to do as we open and share God's word on Sunday mornings and any time we do it, is let's look at the context. I don't know how many of you like to study the Old Testament or read the Old Testament. I think a lot of Christians kind of shy away from the Old Testament because they don't understand a whole lot of the cultural and historic and all of the background and the cultures that are in there. But once you begin to come more, become more of a student of the Old Testament, it's amazing. By the way, it's part of God's inerrant word as well as the New Testament. So I, I am more and more falling in love with the Old Testament as I'm trying to be more of a student of it. So here's what I want us to do. I want to give you a little bit of cultural background, what was happening before we look at verses 23 and 24 in Jeremiah chapter 9. Again, I don't want to make assumptions about how much people have studied Scripture, but one of the biggest issues, if you read the Old Testament and the purpose of the prophets, one of the biggest issues was they constantly pursued idol worship, right? They constantly did that. I mean, God's primary covenant relationship with his people, God's primary uh, responsibility and calling for the nation of Israel is that he would exclusively be their God, the true God. Look at the Ten Commandments. You shall have no other God before me. That's how it starts. And yet over and over and over again, as you read the Old Testament, you see how they just went after other gods. Well, this was one of those kind of breaking points, I believe, in the history of Israel where God said, enough. It's judgment time. And basically, Jeremiah's ministry was to cry out to God's people to repent of their sin, to repent of their idolatry. And with worshiping idols came all kinds of horrible, immoral behavior. And Jeremiah's message was, God's judgment is coming. In fact, nation of Israel, you are going to be taken captive by the pagan Babylonians. It's coming. And so 
Let me, let me uh, read a few of these uh, short passages in chapter 9 leading up to our passage, just so you kind of know how God is calling his people out. Look at verse 7, Jeremiah 9. Therefore, this is what the Lord Almighty says. See, I will refine and test them. For what else can I do because of the sin of my people? Their tongue is a deadly arrow. Well, you want to do a powerful study. Study God's word as it relates to our speech, our words, woe. One of my favorite Proverbs, Proverbs 18, uh, 21, I think it is, 20 or 21, I think it's 21, is life and death is in the power of the tongue. Words can destroy. And words are often, and words that tear down and abuse and other things often come from a heart that is not righteous before God at all. So this is one of the things he is calling his people out for. Look at verse 13. The Lord said, It's because they have forsaken my law, which I set before them. They have not obeyed me or followed my law. Instead, they have followed, look at this phrase, the stubbornness of their hearts. They have followed the Baals. Those are the pagan idols as their ancestors taught them stubbornness of heart. Jump down to verse 18. Let them come quickly and wail over us till our eyes overflow with tears and water streams from our eyelids. The sound of wailing is heard from Zion. How ruined we are. How great is our shame. We must leave our land because our houses are in ruins. Shamefulness is another thing that God is calling out. By the way, um, there are a few things worse in life than being deeply ashamed, are there? I think we've all probably been there at some time. It is just so, uh, so difficult to live with shame. And yet I am convinced there are many people who live with a lot of shame, a lot of Christians. Um, I can't tell you how many times I've heard over the years, I know Jesus forgives me, I can't forgive myself, and, and people live in profound shame. But this isn't just shame, this is shamefulness that we're seeing with them. You know, there's a difference, maybe your parents used to say this to this to you. There's a difference between saying, I'm really sorry, forgive me, and I'm really sorry I got caught. Big difference, big difference. What we see with the Israelites in the verses I just read is they were sorry that their lives were destroyed. They were sorry that judgment was coming. And you do not sense, apart from a handful of them in the scriptures, that they were repentant at all. I share all that with you to now share with you verses 23 and 24 because the beauty of verses 23 and 24 is they remind us that God is a God of incredible love. Even in the midst of their judgment, they were judged. They were taken into captivity by the Babylonians. God wanted to give them hope. God wanted to remind them of his love, his covenant with them. Look at me at verse 23. This is what the Lord says. Let not the wise boast of their wisdom 
or the strong boast of their strength, or the rich boast of their riches. But let the one who boasts boast about this, that they have the understanding to know me, that I am the Lord who exercises kindness, justice, and righteousness on earth, for in these I delight in, declares the Lord. So boasting is a bad thing. We'll start, we'll start there. Boasting is a bad thing when you're boasting about yourself. We're going to see there's a good side to boasting. I'll get there later. But boasting is a bad thing. You know, it, it's okay to acknowledge people for their accomplishment and their talents. And, you know, I've been to a lot of, uh, I worked at Grace for years, but I've also been just to a lot of commencements and graduations and award ceremonies. Many of you have been a part of. That's okay. But that's others honoring you. That's different than boasting about yourself. And notice what he says here. He kind of, by the way, these are absolutely the words of God. This is what the Lord says. This is not Jeremiah. This is the Lord speaking this to them. And then he identifies, he identifies the wise, the strong, and the rich. Aren't those things that we tend to put our own <laughs> arrogance in, our own pride in? You know, hey, you know, I don't want to be cocky or anything, but I, you know, some will say I am the smartest person in the room. I mean, you all know that, right? I mean, let's take a vote. Who's smarter than me, okay? You know, I am not saying that about me, just so you know. <laughs> I'm saying I heard somebody else say that. Strength is power. You know, I only have to watch the news for about five minutes and say that a whole lot of things are about power in our world accumulating, grabbing, consuming power. Power is so addictive. It's so ugly. And then riches. The more money, the more what? <laughs> you know, and so I, I think it's just so great that those are the things that God focuses on with his people. And I wonder, as I've read this in light of the context that I just shared with you in the first part of chapter 9, if he's just saying, you can't figure this out on your own, you can't do this on your own, you can't be good enough even if you wanted to be good enough on your own. You can't. So don't boast in yourself. That's the point. God goes on to, is essentially saying, so who is the source of your wisdom? Who is the source of your strength? Who is the source of your riches? It's not you. You know, when I talk about this realignment, this New Year's realignment that I'm mentioning this morning, here's, here's the first foundational piece of it. If you know Jesus, you are not your own. You have been bought with a price. And what is your responsibility? That verse goes, goes on to say, glorify God. Point people to him. Point people to him. The realignment, my friends, starts with saying, my life's not about me. My life is about Jesus and reflecting and being an ambassador of him. And for me, if that's how we start 2024, 
okay, Lord, I want you to evaluate every area of my life and see if, this, if my life is truly about reflecting him, bringing glory to him, not me. That's what we're being told here, I believe. You know, I, I um, have had friends that, you know, do the uh, New Year's resolution thing, and I, I never, you know, I'm not going to say, don't do that. I'm not going to say that. But I think one of the things that happens when I say, I'm not sure that they work, is people get defensive. But I pray. I pray God will get me out of bed so I can get up and go to the gym. I pray. I pray that the cravings will go away so I don't eat so much. I pray. And it's like, praise God. Keep praying. Keep praying. But don't think that if you just get a little thinner or a little richer, you're good. (laughs) That's not the ultimate calling for a follower of Jesus. It isn't. So, you know, I wanted to talk about boasting. I mentioned to you that boasting isn't all bad. Boasting can be good. Listen to these verses. This is so good. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 26 and 27, also verse 31. Apostle Paul, brothers and sisters, think of what you were when you were called. Not many of you were wise by human standards. Not many of you were influential. Not many were of noble birth. But God chose the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. I think that's us. <laughs> God chose the weak things of the world to shame the strong. Therefore, as it is written, let the one who boasts, here you go, boast in the Lord. You want to boast, boast about Jesus. That's his point. Galatians 6, verse 14. Again, the Apostle Paul, may I never boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, through which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. Boasting is okay if it's about him. And then 2 Corinthians 10, 17, again, Paul, but let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. For it is not the one who commends himself who is approved, but the one whom the Lord commends. You know, when I read this, you know what comes to my mind? Oh, you know what boasting about Jesus is? It's praise and worship. (laughs) It's sharing him with others. It's talking to others about how great he is. That boasting is good. That's all good. When it's about yourself, it isn't. Okay. Boasting about myself is bad. Boasting about Jesus is good. Is he really being glorified in my life? One of the things I think about too, and I I try not to be super introspective, I tend to be pretty introspective like many of you um, probably do, is I, I try to do a motive check on my life a lot. Why am I doing this? Why am I saying this? Why am I? Because I kind of know ways to manipulate. <laughs> Maybe you do too. I really know how to get my own way a lot of times. I don't say that uh, boastingly. It's not, it's not necessarily a good thing. I need to do a motive check. You know why? I've walked with Jesus over 40 years. I know how to make things sound quite godly. <laughs> I do. 
I know how to say things in a way that sound really pretty humble in the midst of my incredible pride and arrogance. And sometimes that's my self-deception. At the core of my being, at the core of my heart, do I really want Jesus glorified through my life? Or do I want to make sure I get some credit too? That's my motive check. That's what I have to say, Holy Spirit, convict me when it's, I'm clearly moving in that direction. Okay? Look back at verse 24 with me, first part. But let the one who boasts, boast about this, that they have the understanding to know me. <laughs> this is so good. You, you want a you Hebrew word for the day? Yada. The word yada in Hebrew means to know, but not just to intellectually know. That word means to know in an intimate, relational way. God says, those of you, Israel, who are sinning, who are boasting, who are arrogant, and who are just about on the verge of judgment, here's what I want. I want you to know me. I want you to really know me personally. That's the realignment I'm talking about. It's not a resolution. It's a realignment for many of us to say, my goal this year is just to know Jesus better and better and deeper. Because here's what happens. You know Jesus more. He changes you. You know Jesus better and better. He begins to change your desires, your affections, as we call it. He begins to fill you and produce through you the fruit of his spirit. It's incredible if you focus on him and not just changing your behavior. He does it. That's the secret. To me, that's the secret of the Christian life. Let me read verse 24 again with the rest of the verse, because this is so important. Verse 24, but let the one who boasts, boast about this, that they have the understanding to know me. Here it is, that I am the Lord, and now he describes himself, the Lord does, who exercises kindness, justice, and righteousness on the earth, for in these I delight in, declares the Lord. If you were to take a theology course, I'm sure many of you say, I don't think so. But if you were to take a theology course, part of your study would be the, what we call the attributes of God, the characteristics of God. And there are many of them. And it, it, is, it is a great study. I mean, I, I think it is. But Here's what's so mind-blowing to me. In the midst of God describing himself, these are the three characteristics he uses. And again, his people are on the verge of judgment. They have been wicked. They have been unrepentant. And they are about to be uh, taken into captivity by a pagan nation. 
And he's wants to, God wants to reassure them, here's what I want you to know about me. That I am full of kindness. I'm going to give you another Hebrew word. Not that I'm trying to be a Hebrew scholar here, but chesed. Got to say it like, got to get some of that in there because it's Hebrew. Chesed. Some of you have heard that term. That word simply means loving kindness. It's actually, the idea is that it is God's covenant love for his people. A covenant love is a totally unconditional love for his people. And so that's what God is wanting to remind his people, ready to be carried off into captivity, judged by God, is don't forget, I love you. I am totally committed to you. His kindness. The second word is his justice. Did you see that? God is just and will punish the guilty, but he vindicates the innocent. Now, you probably don't think of yourself as innocent. I don't, because I'm a sinner. So are you. But you know how I can be not guilty? Through the blood of Jesus Christ. Amen. Through the blood and the work of Jesus Christ dying in my place on the cross so that he took on my sin. In fact, it says he became sin so that we can become his righteousness in God. So our innocence has nothing to do with what we've done. It's what Jesus has done for us. But God is a just God. Read the last couple chapters of the book of Revelation. There's justice. There's judgment. He is a just God. And then the word righteousness. Righteousness simply means living out God's holy standards consistently. He is a righteous God. He never sins. He's always perfect in every way. Over the years, I've been a Christian a long time and uh, been in ministry for a long time as well. Sometimes I talk to people and I found out pretty, find out pretty quickly that they have a real disdain for Christians and Christianity. And for some people, it doesn't take much for them to kind of go off. I'm serious. Some of you know this. When we bring up something biblical or, or whatever, it, it's almost like you talk about the church and you begin to hear about past incredibly hurtful experiences they've been through and that kind of thing. But they, they, they color everything with their disdain. They co- color everything with their uh, anger often toward Jesus, toward the church, toward God, toward Christians, whatever it might be. And they'll say something like, you guys say the Bible says God is love. Look at the world. Are you kidding me? I mean, I, I, I only have to flip on the news for five or 10 minutes and I see tragedy after tragedy after crisis after innocent people dead. And, you know, some people just really will go off on that and you just need to graciously listen. That's what I try to do. How can you say God is love? Here's another one. How can you say God is fair? Are you kidding me? How can you say God is good? You Christians say God is good. You sing this song. One of my friends sang it to me. God is so good. No, he isn't. 
Then why did my grandma die? Then why did my fill in the blank? And if any of you, I'm sure you have, have been in those kinds of, they're not usually conversations because they're pretty one-sided. <laughs> um, sometimes you get the wrath. Be calm. Be kind. Be gracious. And here's the answer that we find in this verse. And here's the answer that I want to be deeply committed to, and I hope you will as well. It is rarely satisfactory to the person who hears. But I say, I look at everything, I try to look at everything in my life through the lens of the Word of God, not through the circumstances and the sinfulness and the brokenness of this world that we live in. And I absolutely cannot always explain why what happens happens. But what I do know, because as a believer in Jesus Christ, I am deeply committed to the truth of his word, that that's where I choose to live. That's what I choose to shape my life and the way I try to process even all of the horrible things that happen. God is love. God is just. God is good. And as I said, that's usually not a satisfactory answer, but it's the right answer. And I think that's why God is saying to his people, Israel, on the verge of this horrible captivity and judgment, oh no, I'm full of kindness, I'm full of justice, and I'm also a good, righteous God. Don't forget that. As hard as life gets, as unfair as life may seem, God hasn't changed. He is who he is. And again, the realignment, the other aspect of this realignment I'm talking about this morning is that I look at life consistently through the lens of his word, which means I need to know it and I need to study it. One of the things that um, just really struck me, just again, the very last part of verse 24, God says this about these three qualities, for in these I delight, declares the Lord. And I think he probably includes that you know and understand me. That's what I delight in. What do you delight in? It's so interesting what we delight in. What gets us excited, what gets us cranked up, what gets us so joyful. What do you delight in? And God's given us a lot of things on, in this life, in this world, that it's fine to delight in. What do you most delight in? What do you love most in life? It's supposed to be the Lord Jesus Christ. That's the right answer. And here's something that I've discovered in my life. Whatever I truly delight in, I tend to like to talk about. Whatever I delight in, and being a big extrovert like I am, I want to tell people, I want to tell everyone what I delight in. 
Some of us delight in our kids or we delight in uh, our football team or we delight in a certain kind of food we love or we delight, think of all the things. And as we go to that deeper level, what do you ultimately delight in? Do you talk to him? Do you talk to others about him? His name's Jesus. Do you talk to others about him? What we delight in, who we delight in, we talk about the most. That's the way it's supposed to be. And that's one of the main ways we glorify him through our lives. So how about a New Year's realignment? (laughs) Jesus be glorified in my life. Do you pray with me? Thank you so much, Lord Jesus. We are so amazed by your kindness, by your love, by your grace, by your consistent, uncompromised, unconditional love for sinners like us. Lord, we have such a tendency to drift. We have such a tendency to be self-consumed. We have such a tendency to be all about ourselves. We confess that to you. Thank you that you still love us in spite of that. Father, I, I pray that maybe today, this first Sunday of 2024, would be a, a realignment day, a day of confession, a day of recommitment, a day of saying, yes, Lord Jesus, I want you to be glorified and honored through my life. Show me how to do that. Help me to do that. Holy Spirit, change me so that I can do that more and more consistently. Lord, we're just so grateful that we have the power of your spirit, that we don't have to do this on our own because we are failures at trying to make ourselves like Jesus. But you can do it. Help us to be surrendered and yielded to the work that your spirit so desperately and desires to do in us. In his name and in your name, Lord Jesus, we pray. Amen. Thanks so much for tuning in to today's message. We hope to see you next Sunday. We would love to personally invite you to one of our services at 9 and 1045 a.m. in the Performing Arts Center in Warsaw Community High School at One Tiger Lane in Warsaw, Indiana. If you've enjoyed this podcast, please make sure to subscribe, review, and connect with us on social media by following Mission Point CC. You can also contribute to what God is doing through Mission Point. Simply visit missionpoint.net slash give and give a gift today. Thanks again for joining us. Have a great week.